Hello and welcome to episode four of The Heat Seat. I'm your host, Sophie Solaria. This is the place you'll get to meet some of the amazing patrons, experts and ambassadors behind the fantastic campaign that is Menopause Mandate. We shall be getting insight into these women's female health experiences from menstruation to menopause and we'll find out how they dealt with the lows, gained their knowledge and found their path to where they are now. But before that, I want to tell you about a supplement I've been taking every night before bed. It's called The Better Gut by The Better Menopause, and it has really been helping. As you will hear from this podcast, Lisa, like myself, really started to struggle with weight gain, brain fog and night sweats as she entered the perimenopause. And I can honestly say that this is debilitating. I know how she felt. And as Lisa says, it's down to the decline in oestrogen. You see, oestrogen plays a crucial role in metabolism of sugar and insulin sensitivity. So when they start to fluctuate, we can be left feeling low in energy, anxious and gaining weight with no explanation. And when it comes to managing blood sugar, oestrogen plays a traffic warden style role, working with insulin to usher glucose from the bloodstream into the cells to be used as energy. So when oestrogen levels dip, the communication breaks down and can lead to high blood sugar and low energy. This can also happen to our brain cells. Our brain needs glucose to function properly and when oestrogen is lacking, it can result in brain fog or lack of focus. And as we all know, night sweats and hot flushes are common symptoms of the perimenopause and the menopause too, particularly as you get closer to actual menopause. Oestrogen plays a role in regulating our body temperature, so it's great to know that all these symptoms can be improved by supporting gut health. The Better Gut supplement contains three strains of bacteria that are particularly beneficial in managing these symptoms. And I've been taking mine for two months and have honestly noticed a decline in the night sweats. And as I mentioned in the other episodes, my tummy feels less bloated and I'm sleeping much better too. I am so happy I started them and I can't wait to find out what the next month brings. So if you'd like to join me on my road to a better gut, and try the Better Gut Supplement to support you through the menopause, then visit thebettermenopause.com to find out more. Plus receive 15% off your first order with my special code HEATSEAT. That's thebettermenopause.com. But now let's meet today's guest. Lisa Snowden is an author, a TV and a radio broadcaster who has spent the last six years navigating her menopause journey and speaking very openly and honestly about it all too. Lisa's not only passionate about raising awareness, but also helping people by sharing her own story. And she's as kind as she seems as well. We both struggled with the technicals on this record and she took it like an absolute trooper, honestly. So here she is, Lisa Snowden, take it away. Welcome. Really happy to have you. Thank you so much, Sophie. We're going to talk about all things female health, get to know you a bit more about, you know, all the stuff that it wasn't long ago that people were even talking about it, periods and menopause and all this stuff. And this is your thing now, right? Yeah, no, I love talking about it. Absolutely. Women supporting women, female health, getting it out there, all of those supposedly taboo subjects, all the things that I didn't learn about when I was younger and I've sort of only just really started to kind of learn more about now. Well, let's talk about when you were younger, because you grew up in Welland Garden City, a teenager in the 80s. What kind of things were going around about periods, fertility, menopause? So where did you get your health education from? Literally from my mum. I remember it really clearly. I was about seven or eight years old. And, you know, my mum isn't that much older than me. So we've got a really great kind of relationship, um, very kind of sisterly relationship. I remember she was in the bath 
and I would just be sitting either on the side of the bath or on the floor and we'd just be chatting. And that's when she brought up about the birds and the bees and periods and she explained that I will start getting a regular bleed and she explained to me why that was necessary. And so that was from quite a young age. I always knew that that was around the corner. And then when I think back to being in human biology classes, we didn't really cover that much. There was a little bit about periods. And I was a really late starter when it came to um, my periods. I didn't start until I was 16. So I was really self-conscious. And so many girls were so much more mature than me. And they all had their periods. And I felt like I was getting left behind. But I don't remember much about fertility. And perimenopause was never mentioned. And of course, menopause was never mentioned. No, of course not. It was never spoken about. But when you finally did get your period, what experience was that for you? Did you enjoy the fact they were here finally? Yeah, I kind of did, weirdly. I felt like, I, I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm finally a woman. I'm not getting left behind because I was so underdeveloped. Like, I didn't have boobs. I didn't have pubes. I didn't have my periods. And I was just like, I'm just going to stay a little girl forever. So I, I was almost 16 when I got my first period. So relatively late, I'd mm. say. But I remember when I went to the bathroom and I was staying at a friend's house overnight and I was staying in London and I went to the loo. And I saw a little <laughs> bit of blood and I was like, oh my God, yes. I haven't been left behind. I'm now a young woman. I just felt like I'd sort of, I don't know, that I was going to be accepted, I guess, with all the kind of girls who were kind of already on that road. Um, What a fool I was (laughs) wanting a period. It was such a weird thing for me, like that association. I think because I was so underdeveloped for so long and I was also bullied for so long and I was really underweight, really, really skinny. And that wasn't due to like the fact that I was malnourished I just couldn't put on weight so I was tiny and I used to get bullied all the time from junior school so you know early early into secondary school so I felt like I was going to be a young woman and I'd start my body would change and I would start developing and I would get bigger and I I wouldn't I wouldn't be picked on anymore I guess oh. so it kind of had so many connotations in my head the tr- next tricky bit was trying to use a bloody tampax it was hours of being in the bathroom my mom was like put your leg up like she'd be outside <laughs> she'd be outside the bathroom just relax lie on your back and try and do it that way and I was trying I was like Cirque du Soleil I was trying to like put it in loads of different ways and it was just it felt obviously so alien but I knew that I needed to do that because obviously you've got to go to school and you've got to go to PE and you've got to do swimming and all those kinds of things and what was, a support system though your mum was yeah, incredible no she was amazing she honestly she was so cool about everything but be careful what you wish for because periods aren't that pleasant and they can be a pain in the ass. And I was dancing. I was went to performing arts school. So that was really inconvenient having your period. And the thing that affected me more, I think, was the lead up to the period. It was almost like when I started bleeding, I felt normal. Whereas that lead up, that three weeks prior, there was one week when I was emotional, one week where I felt bloated and my boobs really hurt and I couldn't cuddle anybody. And it was just like you got that kind of body dysmorphia. You're looking in the mirror and you just don't recognize yourself mm. and you look weird and your clothes don't fit. And so I had that quite a lot um, all my life, pretty much, as soon as I got my periods. So that's something that they don't teach you either. The way it affects your mood, mm. like the rise and fall of the estrogen, the progesterone, that kind of like fluctuation throughout those 28 days you don't get taught that you don't get taught that it's going to impact your mood your emotions your cravings you're going to want to eat everything um and that has been how it's been all my life until now where I don't have periods anymore and it is bloody fantastic let's start talking about perimenopause when did you start noticing symptoms and did you know what they were 
No, I didn't know what they were. And it was in my early 40s. And I, I saw, I've always sort of said it was 41. But when I look back now, and I've seen that there's about 60 symptoms of the perimenopause and counting. Um, and there's so many lesser known symptoms as well. So there's, you know, you always sort of hear and I didn't even hear back then about the hot flushes and night sweats. And I didn't know anything like you don't get taught this at school. You know, it's like I said, you get periods, puberty, a little bit of pregnancy, and then you're just left to your own devices. So the word perimenopause wasn't in my vocabulary. I'd never really heard about it, never read about it. I think I first saw a documentary on the menopause um, that Mariella did, Mariella Fostrop, um, and that kind of like highlighted a lot to me and that was a couple of years into my perimenopausal years so I always said at 42 that's when my symptoms started but I think it was earlier if I'm honest I think it was in maybe 40 41 um because I remember I had this sort of like attack of vertigo which I which was completely out of the blue um and that is one of the lesser known symptoms is that dizziness that vertigo feeling and then I felt very lost very emotional very out of control very stressed very anxious and I went to the doctor and I and I told him that and he just prescribed antidepressants. This isn't like, you know, just my experience. It happens so, so much to so many women, unfortunately, you know, less now. But back, you know, sort of the last 10 years, it's been like, oh, my God, you know, she's she's broken down. She's in floods of tears in the surgery. Um, this woman is clearly depressed. And, you know, there is a place for antidepressants and they do sometimes sit alongside HRT. But that was definitely not what I needed. I always question how a GP can see a woman in this stage and phase and age of life and just immediately think depression. I mean, surely these doctors must be like, there's a run. There's yeah. A, there's a very clear pattern. Yeah, yeah. Well, a woman comes into the surgery who never comes into the surgery in her early 40s, just a mess, just an emotional mess, kind of got to put two and two together and be like, haven't seen you for years. You're usually fit and healthy. You've never had any issues with depression or any mental health um, problems before. Let's look at your hormones. Are you still having a regular cycle? Let's dig a little deeper. Have you lost somebody recently? Is there any grieving going on? You know, there's so many layers to this. And also it's, it's well known now that your fertility declines and stops by 43 in most women. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, therefore, if perimenopause is eight years to 10 years, that is going to be merged. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, fertility drops out at the end of your late 30s, doesn't it? I mean, they always say that that's when your egg quality, you know, you sort of got to hurry yeah. up when you get to kind of 38, 37, 38. That was always the age I had in my head. So it makes sense that if that's happening to your body, then, of course, you're not producing the same amounts of estrogen or any of the hormones and your egg quality, along with uh, the lack of the hormones, is going to is going to impact your fertility. But then also your, you know, your menopause journey, your, your perimenopause journey. So it makes sense. That you're going to start to experience some of those wobbles, some of those more common symptoms, lesser known symptoms. It's just really good to be aware of like noticing changes in your body, in your mood. And I didn't know what to expect. So when I was 40 to 42, I was kind of like left to my own devices. I did take the antidepressants for a short while. I knew that it wasn't what I needed, but I just felt like I should just give it a go, but it didn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, and I went on holiday and I actually forgot to take them with me. So that just made it really easy. <laughs> I had like three pills with me and I just thought, oh Christ, I'm going to have to wean myself off of these. So it kind of was like, a blessing. I will caveat by saying if you are prescribed any kind of medication, you do have to do it really carefully and wean yourself off. And it's not advisable to stop anything, go back to your doctor. But it's just that it was the way that it was. 
And so after that, I guess uh, my cycle started to go a little bit more haywire. Um, and they'd sort of shortened from 28 days to 23 days anyway in my early 40s. So um, I was getting them more regularly, getting a little bit more pain. Um, and then they kind of just got even worse. They're becoming every 18 days, sometimes every 10 days. And they would mm. come out blue and you could never be prepared, you know. And then the lead up to the bleed would be really painful. And I would be sort of in bed. It felt like a kind of nauseous, sickness, food poisoning kind of doubled over where you just curled up in pain and you just don't want to leave the house. So that happened a couple of times I just thought, oh, you know, maybe it's stress. You know, you know that sometimes things like that can impact the length of your cycles. And so you didn't food. at this point either go. Still didn't know. Still no, didn't know. No. That's why I'm so passionate about explaining oh, yeah. signs and symptoms. So we, us women can be empowered and informed and like go, I know what's happening to me. I'm not going to panic because I know what's happening. I just need to be aware of it. And I wasn't. And it's like a really scary, lonely place when you are trying to navigate what's happening to your body and these changes that are occurring. And the interesting thing with premenopause is that it's sort of a little bit of a shapeshifter. So it kind of goes from like one symptom to the next. And so like <laughs> you sort of park the emotional breakdowns and depression and anxiety and panic attacks and then you kind of get a handle on that and then for me anyway this isn't everybody's story this is very unique oh there's a lot of <laughs> shape shifting that I've heard about don't worry oh god and then the weight gain yeah you know which um like I've never been obsessed with my weight and obviously I told you that I got bullied for being so skinny so I always you know I've always been really headstrong when I say for example in my career was told to lose weight and I'd kind of finally kind of grown into a woman bit of curves a little bit of shape I was happy mm. so when I got told to lose weight I really wasn't happy about it so when I started to put on weight I've never been obsessed about that never really had scales so I didn't notice it that much to be honest you know I got back with George we were having a really nice time I was probably drinking a little bit too much I was definitely cooking a lot and eating a lot um, and so you kind of think, oh, you know, when you've, you're in love, you know, yeah. you put on a few pounds. I was content. It wasn't until I kind of got three stone overweight that I like my clothes didn't fit me, that I was like something is going on. And I was bursting into tears a lot. And um, my periods were still all over the place. Um, they were coming less frequently by that point. Like I was like, I haven't had a bleed for like two months. And I went to see this acupuncturist. She's this amazing woman called Sarah Braddon. And she would look at my tongue and she would be like, oh, my God, you're so hormonal. Because that's how they assess kind of what's going on in your body. They look at the tongue and the color and the all of that sort of stuff. It's kind of woo-woo, but fabulous. Hmm. Um, and she was the first woman that actually mentioned the word perimenopause to me. So it was it was through her that I kind of went ding. And that's when I decided to go and get some help. And because I'd already had that issue with the GP with the antidepressants, I decided to go down a private route. And what, and what did that private route do? What did they say? Did it they was awful. You? It was an awful experience. It was expensive. It was really expensive. And that's why I wrote my book, because I just want women to save themselves a shitload of money and to shortcut their diagnosis, to fast track it, because it took me so long and I spent thousands and thousands of pounds. Oh. So he did bloods, he did a scan, obviously the, the scan to look at my um, ovaries, that cost 500 quid. He was like, right, we're going to go into the room next door and we're going to, my friend does the scans. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. Right, we're going to do bloods. 
okay, right. So then you're going to have to come back and book another appointment. I'm like, is that another 250 pounds? He was like, yeah. No. And I was like, yes. So it wasn't even like, oh, it's included like a follow-up appointment. I had to pay to then go back to get my results. And I was just in there thinking like, this is such a ripoff. This is like women being taken for a ride. It reminded me of, you know, the fertility issues that women experience and that how we have to throw so much money at it. And then they can see us that we're desperate and we want to feel better. We want to have a baby. So we're prepared to throw as much money as we can at it. And it's just disgusting behavior. So I did that and I walked away and I was kind of angry and I didn't like his bedside manner. Anyway, went back, sat in front of him and he said, yeah, exactly as I thought, you're perimenopausal. So that means you're getting old and you can't have kids. And he just literally said it like that. So cold hearted. Digging my fingers into my hands because I was just like, he is an absolute. And I just thought, how does he deal with women all day long and still have this cold like there was no empathy whatsoever. And I, I just felt like a lump in my throat. And I was like, I am not going to cry in front of this guy. I'm not going to cry. And I just was like blase. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, I know, of course. Nonchalant. I was trying to be really cool. But I knew because I'd miscarried, you know, like four years prior to going down this route of kind of working out what was happening to me. So I sort of understood that it was going to be a struggle if I wanted to have kids. And at this point, you know, George and I had already had a conversation because you know, I had miscarried and I had been for some tests and seen some doctors and looked at loads of different options, you know, freezing my eggs and yeah. IVF and all this sort of stuff. But it was the way that he said it. It was just awful. And I just, you know, I was alone. And I think a lot of women go to the appointments by themselves and you're searching for answers. And you know what? There may still have been a way for me to get pregnant. There's so many different options right absolutely there was no aftercare there was no his bedside manner was hideous so I left there and I just burst into tears and it was just the realization that it was definitely over even though George and I had come to that kind of conclusion together that we were just gonna be together and have adventures around the world and the kids weren't going to be part of our story when it came to your fertility did you know your fertile years, best fertile years were like 18 to 35. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew that. You I knew that. You've that. always you always know that. They're always like, oh, the biological clock's ticking. Yeah, that's you've it, always got yeah. that bloody time bomb. Like just, you know, every boyfriend you go on a date with, you're like, oh, Jesus, he's not the one. But oh, the clock's ticking. Clock's ticking. So you've got that pressure. And I talk about that in the book as well. It's like how your hormones kind of rule your life and that sort of testosterone, which is sort of surges and that sort of urge to procreate and that sort of primal instinct that's there. And you're like, you know, doing it with the wrong people. Yeah. Totally inappropriate men, or I was. Most women yeah. <laughs> find the wrong men before they find the right one. And sometimes no. as you as you found that it can be in that later part of your life, which is not uncommon and that's why it's so annoying about the biological clock because women know themselves far better in their 30s oh god I know it's really unfair actually I found myself feeling so much more empowered and so much more positive and confident in myself when I turned 50 and you know if only then I would be like now you're ready to be a mother I would have been the best mum in the world because I've got patience I know who I am I'm not still working on myself I feel like up until that moment I've just been a work in progress just trying to figure things out. And then the perimenopause came into my 40s and it, it lasted for a pretty long time. Yeah. You know, it was about eight, nine years. He gave me bioidentical hormones. So there's these two camps, bio and body identical. And the kind of more private sort of private doctors in, in London or around the country, they're in the bioidentical hormones. And at the, this point, I didn't know any different. I just wanted to get something that was going to help me. 
Um, I was very puffy. I was very swollen. I was very emotional. I was very sad. I wasn't sleeping at this point. My periods were super painful and I just needed help. You know, I was a hot, sweaty mess. So he gave me progesterone cream, which um, I now know isn't really very good. No. Um, there might be women listening to this who have gone down that route. And sometimes it works for you. I know so many women that are on bioidentical hormones. They take the lozenges. They take the cream. But for me, I wasn't offered estrogen from him, which was a no brainer. I needed estrogen because that's the main hormone that is from the roots of your hair to the tips of your toes. And that was the reason why so many of these symptoms were like just smacking me upside the head. And he didn't give me that, didn't offer that to me. So I had progesterone cream. Not long after that, I realized that perhaps I wasn't feeling that good. So I went to see another private doctor recommended by a friend. And it was again, the bioidentical. And it was again, very expensive consultation, blood test there. He then gave me progesterone cream, the same oh, one, my goodness. no estrogen. And I was just like, what is going on? And then I started doing more research. And then I met Dr. Potter, Naomi Potter, and we started talking on, on social media. And then lockdown happened. And that was 2020, obviously. And um, we started talking and I said, I just don't feel well at all. I'm, you know, nothing is touching the sides. Now I'm having like heart palpitations at night just before I fall asleep. It feels like this surge of adrenaline just like grabs my heart and I'm too scared to fall asleep. Like that falling off a cliff moment, you know, when you're like, (gasps) oh yeah, I hate that. Yeah. And I was getting bigger and I wasn't sleeping. Once I finally got to sleep, I was awake all night. Just the bed was soaking wet. And then I was shivering. Then I was soaking wet. And I was Mm. peeing every hour. And then the brain fog started to kick in. And, you know, I do live TV and that's just not ideal at all. You've got 10 minutes to do this live show and you've got to just get everything out. And your brain is like glitching. Please, God. And then I started to get really nervous about hosting jobs. You know, I had. Of course, yeah. I was president of Trick, which is a television industry radio club. And they asked me to host four big events at the Grosvenor House. And there's like thousands of people there and all my peers. And it's all those amazing people in the industry. And I remember looking out at them, just absolutely crapping myself and just feeling so discombobulated and feeling like no confidence. I shouldn't be here. I was sweating. I was crippled with nerves and just anxiety. And it was horrible. And I did that four times. And I lost sleep over it. I was like, oh, I've got a host of things soon. And it was like the months were ticking by. And I was like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, why am I putting myself in this position? I don't feel comfortable, but I still did it. I now know that, you know, if something's really making you unhappy and you feel you like you need a bit of time and you need a bit of respite, yeah. do it, take it, you but know. Were you not on proper HRT with estrogen at this point yet? Mm-mm. Right. Okay. And then for a couple of years, I just kind of navigated it by myself and just tried to like change my diet, went plant based, tried to do more exercise, incorporate more exercise, breath Did that help in any way? It it did. It absolutely does. You know, like we can do so much because there's so many people that can't take HRT. There's so many people that don't want to take HRT. And so I wanted to look at different avenues, look at like different herbal alternatives. I tried sage tea. I tried sage tablets and they did help a little bit to alleviate some of the symptoms. Um, And then plant-based diet, a diet rich in phytoestrogen. So foods that have estrogen in them so your your sweet potatoes your chickpeas your soy you know i looked at like the sort of um asian diet you know a lot of japanese women allegedly don't struggle as much as we do in the western world because their diet is so rich in like omegas and fiber and all of these phytoestrogens so i really kind of swatted up on all of those um types of things and how i could help myself you know is it ashwagandha is that going to help to like soothe my nervous system i was just 
looking at everything. Is Shatavari going to make me feel sexy again? It was like all these things I was like searching for in the kind of herbal world. And you know what? They do absolutely do something. But we need to look at our 360 approach to health. So, you know, yes, HRT has been a game changer to me. And I'll get on to actually finally getting the right HRT. But we can do a lot with our diet and our mindset and movement, which will help everything you know it helps like boost the serotonin and like all those endorphins that you get from movement and not to mention you know sort of strength training and weight bearing exercise is going to help our bones which is something that we need to look at women who are in their early 40s late 30s you know get a head start get ahead of the curve start doing these movements start recognizing what's happening to your body you know are you getting bloated after certain food are you getting angry after too much wine is that impacting your sleep and just just start to try and fall in love with exercise a little bit because I swear to god when you're three stone overweight weight doesn't affect everybody and and some people don't get bothered by it but for me that wasn't good for me and did you manage to shift it yeah I've, I've lost I've lost almost three stone it's taken oh, years. Well no, it's taken years. It's not like, a, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. been like a long process. It's really hard. Yes. It's really hard. Like mm. I have literally blood, sweat and tears. Mm-hmm. And also being really strict with myself. Not a diet, but like portion control, a couple of days fasting a week, try not to drink in the week, just having a couple at the weekend. You know, it was like stuff I used to get away with, just like mm-hmm. pints of beer and a bottle of wine. And it's just like, I'll yeah. do it. And a chocolate bar and a packet of crisps oh. lunch. Love you know, I've never days. understood people who are like, I just have one little square of chocolate. I will literally, if it's in the fridge, it's it's going just in the mouth. Another, just come back another <laughs> and run to the fridge. Go back again. Sit on the sofa. And what do yeah. you do instead of that? Because obviously you can't get rid of that craving if you need a sweet thing. Yeah. So I will try and just have a little nibble or I'll have an apple or some cherries or some grapes or something like that you know you can kind of like trick your brain I always have water I think more water we all need that you know really hydrate you want to energize your cells so it's a really good way to feel fuller your skin will improve you can flush out toxins and so it's good for your for weight management as well so yeah I just grab a big glass of water have an apple or a piece of fruit something sweet maybe some dates maybe some peanut butter with some dates or an apple yeah, sometimes I'll make a hot chocolate, like a really lovely hot chocolate with like dark, dark cacao um, and then put like my collagen powders in and some, some mushrooms. You put mushroom in your hot chocolate. Yeah, mushroom powder, mushroom powder. It does, it's, it's tasteless, but it's just really good for the brain. So right. Like, you know, wow. I'm a real kind of herbal hippie chick, I love it. so I love all of that sort of stuff. You know, once a week I'll have a tree, I'll have a pizza, but it's just I'm a bit, bit more mindful, eat more slowly. And also I've I found that if you up your protein, you're less likely to feel hungry and less likely to want a snack. Because I think a lot of the time we just haven't satisfied ourselves enough with the right foods. And that's why that kind of energy dips and that sort of sugar cravings kind of creep up in the afternoon. So I feel like if you're hydrated and you're eating well, then you're less likely to go down that route. And if you're moving and you're seeing that the weight's kind of, you're losing a few pounds here and there. It's more motivating mm. and inspiring to keep going. But, you know, I get it. It's, I, I understand when you're in the depths of your menopause and you can't even, you haven't slept. And the last thing you want to do is get up and move. I get exactly. it. You're aching. You yeah. feel like absolute shit. And you just want to cry. So I've been there too. But I promise you, just get your trainers by your bed and just try and get out, even if it is for a walk. 
Are these the sort of tips that are in the book? Tell us yeah. a bit more about the book. Yeah, it's all in the book. It's basically like it's sort of part memoir, part self-help. And it's the book I wish I'd had when I was sort of in my early 40s. Um, you know, yes, I talk about HRT. I talk about my experiences with the doctor. I talk about my kind of fertility struggles, for want of a better word. Um, and then I talk a lot about sort of self-acceptance and trying to come to terms with the fact that we are getting older and starting to try and like reconnect with yourself and learn to love yourself again. When I got to 50 and I, I just feel like, geez, I feel the best I've ever felt. You know, I'm happy. I like who I am. Yeah. I love my life. You know, yes, it didn't turn out perhaps how I thought it was going to when I was in my 20s. Because I think even when you're at school, you've got like, right, you're going to have a dog and two kids and a white picket fence. It's all going to be like idyllic. And life just doesn't turn out like that, you know. Yes. Actually, it's really powerful to hear you tell how you found yourself, navigated yourself in other ways. Because so many women, I think, are taught that that is the way, you know, the, the picket fence and all of that is still drummed in, I guess, through fairy tales, you know, yeah. and finding your prince. And actually, it's great that you can just say, this is the life that I found. And, and I'm excited it. now to be able to tell younger women this too. Yeah. And just to try and educate them into thinking, do you know what? Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Yeah. You never know what's around the corner. Like, just don't have a sense of self-worth so you won't get treated badly. And so yeah. that you can perhaps find somebody, if that's what you want, you know, that who's not going to take advantage of you, who's not going to drain you, who's not going to treat you less than you should be treated so that's kind of my advice you know I really hope the younger generations can be a they bit will. more assertive and strong and know I really hope the same absolutely yeah so it's a book about trying to forgive you know and be kinder to ourselves and then there's a lot of nutritional advice there's advice from experts we've got Emma Bardwell who's a top nutritionist we've got Dr Naomi Potter who's the lady that I finally got my hormones from and got onto a good <laughs> set of HRT good um, my trainer's in there as well who's a life coach so it's kind of like getting into your mind and trying to like give you that impetus and that inspiration to get out there and move so yeah there's loads of advice in there from lots of really great people and then there's got my story in there as well so hopefully people can relate to it it's always helpful isn't it when you hear other people going through stuff Oh my God, yeah. That's why yeah. I started up my Midweek Menopause Madness. It was just like, we could all share what's happening to us. It's like a weekly uh, Instagram series that I started with Dr. Potter. And that's how we first became friends and how, you know, I've learned so much through her. And when I told her that I was on, I, I'd been prescribed by two private doctors, the progesterone cream and only the progesterone cream. She was just like, what is going on? So I got my Lenzetto estrogen spray from her. And I got my Eutogestan progesterone capsules from her. And within about a couple of weeks, my hot flushes had Amazing. started to <laughs> oh, dissipate. Brilliant. And I was like, oh, my God. And then my sleep improved. And then I realized I was sensitive to the progesterone, uh, taking it orally. So now I use it vaginally. But because I don't have periods, I use it every night, 100 milligrams. And, you know, everybody's different. And that is sort of prescribed off license, uh, taking it vaginally. But, you know, some people are extremely sensitive to progesterone and it really affects them. And I just got really puffy and swollen. So that's how I take it. And now I also take testosterone as well. It's not included in the um, the prescription, the one-off prescription payment, unfortunately. It's only estrogen and progesterone and testosterone isn't in the mix there. You have to pay extra for it and it costs a lot. Wow. Um, so that's something that still needs to be worked on. You know, sometimes for women, it's just that 
it's not even about getting your libido back, which is obviously something that's massively important. And we should all want to still, you know, be intimate with our partners or with new partners, who knows. But um, it's, sometimes it's that little missing piece of the puzzle for the brain, you know, the brain fog, sometimes the estrogen just isn't touching the sides and you need a little something, something. Yeah. And that's where testosterone comes in. Then finally, you joined the menopause mandate team because you are clearly very passionate about this stuff and you wanted to campaign and you want to do better and change things what are you most proud of from your campaigning so far oh I'm really proud that you know we've that so many things have changed in the year and that we're all such a sort of strong badass group of women like I love them all I've got girl crushes on on the whole menopause mandate crew they're just brilliant I'm proud that we have managed to get the one-off prescription payment across the line um, and the women are benefiting from it still supply uh, issues um, annoyingly but you know we managed to get that tick there's still so much to do though you know we want testosterone to be in the mix it needs to be also available for women it needs to be seen differently Um, it needs to be diagnosed and uh, prescribed and it also shouldn't be as expensive as it is absolutely I mean it's like it shouldn't be a case of do we choose to take testosterone and feel good and feel the best we possibly can or you know am I going to do the weekly shop? Do you know what I mean? Uh Because my androfem is 90 quid and it's gone up. You know, it's ridiculous. And I need a couple of them a year, even though I use a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. I'm proud of of all of the women who, you know, they come down to Westminster like the last time we were there and there was so many groups of women all ages talking about the menopause, sharing their experiences, you know, having a voice you know, those women are in that book, the menopause mandate book. It's just amazing. And the, the conversation's getting louder and less taboo. And then the policy in workplace, you know, the workplace policy, that's so important for women to have there. They need to be listened to, they need to be supported and and, and they needs to be somewhere that you can go when you are feeling out of sorts, when you just need a little bit of time, a little bit of like flexibility within your working hours to go to the doctors once if you are going on HRT to get that into the mix and start to feel yourself again, breathable uniforms, nicer working conditions, all of those sort of things, you know, women are being heard and understood and supported now. So that's what makes me so happy oh thank you lisa you're so lovely as well just so just so that's said (laughs) on record you're just one of the nicest people thank you so much and if people knew behind the scenes how hard this is to make the podcast you you would know how lovely she is you're lovely too it's it's all good Look, we're going to end the podcast by asking each guest to choose their favourite song from the Menopause Monday Hot 100 playlist, which can be found on Spotify. What is your favourite song from the playlist and why? Oh, well, Soph, it's tricky because there's two and they're very poignant. I'm going to let you have both because okay, it's not Desert both. Island Discs. I'm not going to throw because, you to the river. Because, because they just stand out to me. So somebody I used to know by Goche, right? That was when I was at the depths of my perimenopause and I didn't know what was happening. And that was when I was sitting on the floor crying and sobbing to my partner, George, because I didn't recognize myself. And so that's, you know, now I'm just somebody that I used to know. So that makes me cry when I think of that. And then on the flip side, postmenopause, stepping into my power and feeling fabulous um, is Etta James at last. Brilliant. Because I'm postmenopause and it's like, I am okay you are going to be okay just knowing that just knowing that and and just and just keeping strong and just doing everything that you know that we need to do to feel good and look after ourselves it's making me emotional because it's like such a great song um and it's such a kind of beacon of hope and that's kind of 
what we need to aspire to. Oh, thank you so much. Let's try and get a remix of the two. That would be lovely. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> it's really, really nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Sove. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with the wonderful Lisa Snowden. Lisa is as incredible as she seems and is clearly keen and passionate to fight change for women. And we, of course, love her for that. To find out more about Lisa and the great work she does for Menopause Mandate, head to menopausemandate.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we would love to hear from you. As ever, if you have a comment, a question, a suggestion for any of the people I've spoken to so far in the series, then please get in touch at the heat seat at menopausemandate.com. What would you like to hear more of? What would you like to hear less of? Just let me know. Unless it's about me. We're not having less of me. Plus, if you like what we're doing, please give us a good review. And of course, share it with your friends and family. As I always say, knowledge is power. And if you know what you're dealing with, you can make a plan. And another way to gain knowledge is to listen to the experts. And that's why we at Menopause Mandate love Let's All Talk Menopause. Let's All Talk Menopause is a webinar platform. They run regular sessions with leading menopause experts covering everything you need to know about your menopause. Plus, you get the chance to ask the experts your questions. You can subscribe for as little as £5 a month or £50. And if you quote MM at checkout, you can get 20% off your annual subscription. So come and join me, plus the thousands of other happy subscribers who have discovered Let's All Talk Menopause. Finally, thank you for being here today. Until next time, take care.